I would say every now and again, but I was I was a hoe for for Lizzie, <laughs> Lizzie McGuire. Yeah. yeah, as you should be, yeah. as we all should be. Yeah. Hey hottie, welcome back to a brand new episode of To Be Honest the Podcast. Hope you are having a beautiful week. I am personally having a beautiful week, especially because I live with an icon who is sitting across from me and is also my co-host. What in the oh world? Oh my god. Uh, my name's Amanda and I'm sitting across from the beautiful Miss Cara Art Reedy. Hello. Hello. My favorite thing about when you intro the podcast is that I never really know what's coming or where you're going or what the journey is going to be like. Like, it's just, like, really wherever it takes you. I'm glad. It's interesting. Thank you. I hope interesting in a good way. Yeah, interesting in a good way. Thank you. Yeah. No, thank you. No, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) How are you doing this week? I... (laughs) Look, it's been a week, but I'm feeling good today, Mm -hmm. you know? You're you're time blocking your day out? I'm time blocking my day. busy. I'm I'm booked and We're busy. behind. We're behind, Schedule. but I'm really excited for today's episode. So mm-hmm. like the vibes are high and I'm holding on. Uh, is that a is that a little sneaky sneak preview? It's not a sneaky sneak. Oh, it I'm might so be sorry. to mine. Oh really? Wait, wait, really? No. Oh, okay. kind of maybe. You'll see. <laughs> anyway, before we get into the episode, Miss Reedy, please share with me what you have to be honest about today. Okay, I have to be honest about something today that I'm. If I'm honest, I'm a little bit nervous to be honest about, but I have to say it. Okay. I have to say it. I am a bit disappointed in Taylor Swift at the moment. So just for the record, at the moment, it's Wednesday, the 18th of May. Like we're recording, this will probably go up in two weeks time-ish, mm. week and a half. So it might seem a little bit outdated, but then maybe something will change in that time. I hope it does. Mm-hmm. But at this current stage, I'm a bit disappointed in my icon, my god taylor swift because and this is not like a new hot take but she has been silent on the abortion issue that is in happening in america right Mm -hmm. now and like i said like this is not a hot take or something that's like a new crazy opinion but people have noticed that she has been yeah like silent about it she's been promoting other things but she hasn't spoken about the abortion issue she also didn't sign the planned parenthood i guess like petition that a lot of big celebrities signed and I just think it would take very little for her to do that mm-hmm. and or, or for her to even just like post a story or an Instagram saying she stands with women who want to make their own choices mm-hmm. if she if that's what she believes if she if that's not what she believes it's a whole other fucking issue but I choose to believe that she believes pro-choice yeah so at the moment I'm disappointed have you thought much about this or have you seen much about it online no I like I've heard you talk about it mm-hmm. and like I do agree I think it's interesting because when it comes to celebrities we we expect more from them mm-hmm. I think when it comes to Taylor Swift the reason why this is so uh, perplexing is it it seems like something that she normally would stand very yeah. vocal for so I guess that's why maybe people are feeling a little bit confused by her behavior with the issue yeah absolutely especially because as we saw with like the Miss Americana documentary which is so fucking iconic like a big thing of that was her finding her voice and her being like confident to talk about political issues and her coming out of her shell and now and like since then she's kind of been like I'm going to speak up about things that matter Mm. and this is arguably something that will impact directly millions of her fans she's the biggest pop star in the world like her and her fan base is predominantly female and i would also kind of guess maybe predominantly american female Mm -hmm. this is an american female issue so it's just very 
yeah, it doesn't sit right with me. I'm hoping that she does say something. I'm hoping maybe she comes out and she apologizes for her lack of, her lack of, uh, I guess, care or public care about the issue. Mm-hmm. There's a whole lot. I, I understand, like, this is turning to a whole segment in itself. But basically, <laughs> I just want to say, like, I understand that celebrities obviously have, and Taylor Swift in particular, would have a huge thing on their shoulders about, like, they can't speak out about every single topic under the sun. Mm-hmm. But I do think that it's important to speak out about ones that maybe even directly, like, you know, relate to you and your fans and stuff like that. Yeah. And this is, I think, a moment where she is maybe falling a bit short. Mm-hmm. And obviously this is all to say, you know, if she has got, if it comes out, she's had like really deep personal issues going on. Like, obviously that's a fine reason not to speak out, mm-hmm. but assuming that everything's fine and she's just living her life and she's promoting her singles and she's promoting Joe Joe Owen's new show. I'm finding the silence a little bit deafening. Mm. I've never heard silence quite this loud, some would say. (laughs) Anyway, what do you have to be honest about this week? I have to be honest about the fact that I am really enjoying, like, leaning into speaking my truth and, like, Mm. being confident. Um, This is something that I've kind of, like, always, like, struggled with, with, like, feeling like if I say something that's perhaps quite you know or even like mildly confrontational that it's kind of like not worth it at the end and Mm -hmm. stuff like that but lately I think and like slowly I'm learning how to you know own uh, my opinions Mm -hmm. more and feel more confident in them and yeah I had a moment last night I called Kara after I had an experience where I you know just stood up for something that was quite small but like had been impacting me mm. for a little while. I wouldn't say it was small because it was impacting me. Like maybe in the scheme of life, it's small, <laughs> but it was impacting you. Yeah, totally. So I think it was like a nice step for me to take. And I think like a really nice reminder that like the, the small things can like, uh, you know, accumulate to a really mm-hmm. nice amount of growth. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that I've also been noticing that you've been speaking, speaking your truth <laughs> a lot lately. Actually, I remember a couple of months ago, you there's a few things that just, I guess, like happened around the same time and you were just sending truthful, like text left, right and center about <laughs> things. And I was like, wow, who is this bitch that I'm now living with? Like, yeah. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. It definitely is like a thing where I think if you take the first baby step towards doing it, you kind of re- realize that like, it's okay to say your opinion or to mm-hmm. respectfully tell someone if they've upset you and stuff like that. So like, it makes sense that as you kind of do it, you're realizing that it's easier to do yeah in a way yeah as long as you had the right people around you I guess yeah (laughs) that's great thanks honey so I'm really excited to get into today's episode because we're back with a pop culture made me episode which thank you Mm. for all the support on the first one this is something we really were excited to try and it was received really well and we're just really excited to keep talking about pop culture moments that Mm -hmm. we really love. But before we get into them, we have a few to talk about um, (laughs) that you submitted to us on Instagram. So, Miss Reedy, can you please take us away with a a pop culture moment? So we love asking this on Instagram because we obviously have – I feel like pop culture moments that make an impact are, like, so personal Mm. because obviously everyone's different. So I love reading – everyone's like things that immediately come to their mind when we post this on our Instagram, Uh which is at tbh.pod, by the way, if you Uh can follow us. So someone said, when Zanessa broke up, it made me realize love doesn't last forever. I was never a huge Zanessa girl. Oh, I was. Were you? Oh, yes. I was a Zanessa girl. That's shocking. Really? 
Like, kind of. I was obsessed with them. I remember when those photos came out of them in Hawaii. Of like, I don't even know what you're referring to. Oh, my God. There was this iconic moment. Like, because they were rumored to be dating for mm. a while because they played love interests on High School Musical. Mm-hmm. And then it was kind of like, it seemed like they were together, but no one really knew. And then they went on holiday to Hawaii together and they were very, like, PDA mm-hmm. heavy uh, in the ocean. I'm pretty sure it was Hawaii. And yeah. I can just remember, like, when those photos came out, like, browsing Google on, like, really slow internet and <laughs> like, oh, my God, and, like, watching all these YouTube compilations of all of the photos in, like, a slideshow and me being like, oh, my God, I can't believe they're together. Like, it was, like, so exciting. Why was it so exciting as a kid when you're, like, two idols got together? I feel like it's, like, because especially if they were in a TV show or something or if, like, they were musicians, like, if they were in the same industry, mm-hmm. you kind of, like always want people like that to be together it's like exciting for you and then when it happens it's kind of like mind-blowing you're like what in the world i do remember when they broke up like officially broke up but people were like devastated Mm -hmm. i guess because it would would have like kind of been like an end of an era almost like a childhood nostalgic kind of like high school musical disney channel kind of era yeah to me now though it's kind of like i when i see zanessa obviously i like i think of zanessa but I don't think of Zac Efron and Vanessa Hudgens as Zanessa. Does that make sense? It kind of makes sense. Because yeah. they've kind of like eclipsed. Well, at least Zac Efron, I think, has eclipsed. Like, I don't think of Zac Efron as the same Zac Efron who dated Vanessa Hudgens, who also lived an hour and a half away from us in Byron Bay for two years. Oh, yeah, I totally agree. Different people. But in my I feel mind. the way about Vanessa Hudgens as well now. You feel that way about Vanessa Hudgens? Yeah. Okay. Like, I think that she has also eclipsed. Like, I think that yeah. they have both moved so on. I mean, and it makes was, sense it because so they were so young. Ago. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, we've all eclipsed our 17 year old selves. <laughs> anyway, what's the next one? Okay. So, the next one is actually so many people mentioned this. Like, it was honestly like probably 50% of the um, replies and DMs we got when I posted on Instagram was the pop culture moment that really impacted people was Miley's Rebel era, the we can't stop and wrecking ball kind of era. This was a moment in time. This was an iconic moment in history. Here's the thing. I just think that Miley like just continues getting more and more iconic. I actually saw these photos of her this morning on Instagram and she just looks like fucking gorgeous and incredible. And I feel like she's like always her truest self which mm-hmm. is why she just gets more and more iconic as time goes on yeah i think she kind of lives in the moment and she's like the her truest version of herself whatever that means for her in that moment like yeah obviously she's kind of expressed some not not regret but she's expressed some like i don't know like interesting thoughts about the kind of we can't stop era like the drugs and the bangers and all that kind of thing like yeah she's, I think, she, that's not who she is anymore i think it's clear she was having like a rough time <laughs> yeah exactly but I kind of, I respect the fact that like in that phase in her life, she was like, this is who I am. I'm not going to try and be more polished or try and be like, try and act like I'm not taking pills every weekend. Like yeah. I am. Like yeah. I respect it in a weird way. Yeah. I was obsessed with We Can't Stop when it came out. That oh, song. Me obsessed. Too. Mm-hmm. Couldn't get enough of it. Okay. So the last thing that we wanted to mention, and we found this quite iconic, is that someone said Abby Chatfield's entire career is a pop culture moment for them. I agree. I think it's like Abby Chatfield is one of the people who I am just like fascinated by and I love her, love her content and love a lot Mm -hmm. of what she stands for. And I find it really interesting because I think like even now looking back at when we were first introduced to Abby Chatfield on The Bachelor, 
like you can see so much growth and and how much she's done in that time mm-hmm. and i think like her career just continues to grow it's going to be so interesting like in 10 years to look back and see what she's done um in that time because she's recently even launched a fashion label which is like so size inclusive mm-hmm. she's really doing something different and i just feel like she's an australian icon to me she's she's definitely a businesswoman like she has transcended reality star like there's nothing wrong with being a reality star and like you know making the most out of being on a reality tv show but she's really transcended that kind of just typical reality star kind of career cycle which is usually like i feel like in australia for those of you don't know abby chapel is australian from Mm -hmm. the australian bachelor but i feel like typically the cycle for that kind of fame is you're on the bachelor or the bachelorette and then maybe you get like some instagram like followers and you do some instagram influencing and then you maybe you do a radio show and that's kind of it yeah maybe you're on home and away or neighbors maybe <laughs> sam frost-esque yeah but abby chapel's just doing everything she's mm. got like she does the influencing thing but she's also doing her own fashion label she's like standing up for the rights of people left right and center Mm -hmm. like it's just it's really impressive and i think that it speaks a lot to her influence that people are already noting her as a pop culture kind of icon Mm -hmm. because i do think in like you said in 10 years we're going to look back and we're going to be like abby chatfield was a moment for doing x or whatever absolutely and i think that she'll be relevant for a very very long time Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i agree okay so moving into our pop culture made me moments. Oh my God, I'm so excited. If you're new to the series, uh, I'm going to talk about a pop culture moment in history that had an impact on me in some way. Talk to Kara about it. She has no idea what I'm going to mm-hmm. share. And then vice versa, Kara's going to educate me on a pop culture moment of her own. And I'm personally very excited <laughs> for what I have to share today because I'm talking about probably one of the most things I'm most passionate about. Oh my god, what is ever. it? Survivor? Is it Survivor really? Yes, of course ah, it's Survivor. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> Wait, what is it? Okay, so. Oh, I'm so excited. Okay, so my pop culture uh, moment is I'm going to be talking about the most iconic TV show of all time, mm-hmm. which is Survivor, and how it is so much more than a game for just a cash prize. Wow, this is such a you <laughs> thing to talk about. How did I never fathom this? Did you not think that I was going to no. talk about this? Okay, I was like wondering. I was like, this feels like something I have to do at some point because mm. I love Survivor so much. It's my favorite show and it has been for years. Um, and I thought the time is now. Mm-hmm. I really have things that I want to talk about. I'm surprised that you didn't guess it. Well, no, because I guess, are you talking about like Survivor as like the all-encompassing show that's been running for like 20 years? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Wow, there's so much to cover. I understand why you're like, you're typing furiously for an hour and a half. Yes, and that's why I really want to focus on why it's so much more than a game for a cash prize. There's yeah. so many things that you can talk about with Survivor, but something that I love so much about it is the fact that it is a social experiment in mm-hmm. a way. And that's why I also find shows like Big Brother fascinating because it's a social experiment. You do love reality TV that's got like some sort of like element of like social experimentation twist. Yeah. You know. Yeah. 
Okay, so let's start with what is Survivor. Uh, if you don't please know what Survivor me. is, then please <laughs> welcome. Um, Survivor is a reality TV game show where castaways are left to live on an island where they must provide food, water, shelter, and fire for themselves. The contestants compete in challenges for reward and immunity, and then they are voted off the island one by one. So Survivor, it's a series that has been produced by multiple countries and continues to air many seasons all across the globe. Its flagship series, though, is produced by CBS in the USA and has been filmed in multiple international locations. The American series draws in an average of 3.4 million viewers and is one of the most successful reality TV shows in history. It, it still pulls in 3.4 million per episode on average. It's actually getting more than that at the moment, <gasps> but yeah. I mean, this season at the moment is iconic, yeah. so I understand why we're getting more, but wow. Yeah. That's, in, that's crazy. It's pretty incredible. It's... The American series is up to its 42nd season at the moment and something I love about Survivor is that it just like continues to evolve Mm. Um, and it's just very fascinating. I feel like when most people think of Survivor, especially in Australia and America and Canada, they think a lot about the American series, but there are series all across Europe, Australia, New Zealand, Africa, South America. Mm. They make Survivor all across the globe, basically. Because I guess it would change based on the dynamics of people within that country as well mm-hmm. and, like, maybe the landscapes and, like, what unique talents certain people have. Like, I know we've spoken about how in Australian Survivor we, like, there's barely ever any swimming challenges because most people in Australia know how to swim just mm-hmm. by, you know, growing up relatively near the coast most people do yeah well we have swimming ingrained in like our culture in terms of like going to school whereas like that might not be the case for other things so it's very interesting yeah okay so i guess i want to talk about like why i'm talking about survivor today Uh, Mm -hmm. i discovered survivor around the age of like 14 Mm -hmm. and immediately i was like drawn to it the first season i watched was survivor china and it had this woman called amanda in it and she was my favorite (laughs) of course and she was iconic. She voted out her one of her closest allies, James, when he had two immunity idols. And it was just, I was just like, oh my God, like this show is so good. Mm-hmm. And then after spending years casually watching it, I eventually revisited the series in my early 20s and became a super fan of the show. I would go back and rewatch all of the US seasons and then dip my toes into the Australian and New Zealand series too. And so I became just like obsessed with this show and honestly like totally fascinated by it. Like I loved the gameplay, the strategy and like seeing how people could get to the end and win. But the social aspect of the show and the idea of putting a variety of people from different walks of life on Mm -hmm. an island with no distractions really drew me in and like still draws me in to this day. I think Mm -hmm. that like... An amazing cast of diverse people is what makes for a great Survivor season. Yeah, I agree. So Survivor was a pop culture moment for me, but honestly, it still is. (laughs) I love watching the game and the show just evolve over time. And it really is fascinating to see how social issues in the quote unquote real world play out in a television environment. The host, Jeff Probst, has been quoted saying, Survivor is a microcosm for our real world. And whilst I personally believe there are moments that have certainly been controversial and honestly not handled in the most appropriate way, I appreciate the fact the show and the game have continued to evolve with the world. And especially recently, the show has acknowledged their lack of diversity in earlier seasons and have made a commitment to do 
better. So I'm excited to get into it. Uh, I'm going to break down some moments in Survivor history that I personally will remember forever. These range from like really confronting and awful moments to really beautiful moments. So I do want to know a quick trigger warning that in this segment, there's going to be discussions of homophobia, racism, sexism, sexual harassment, and transphobia. It, it has had its fair share of controversies. And like you said, they've kind of gotten better with like as the show's gone on and how they deal with these things yeah i think it's really interesting like now watching really older survivor seasons back you can see how like if those things happened now in today's world it would never fly and there would be a lot more controversy than they received Mm -hmm. at that time but something that i do appreciate about survivor especially now is that i do feel like they listen and Mm -hmm. they learn from the fact that they have aired things that were not appropriate to be aired in the past yeah and really try and like have like good conversations Mm -hmm. about them i mean you and i recently watched an episode in the current season where they had a discussion about race and casual racism and how it you know uh people are saying they're not being racist but they're not aware of the way that Mm. things can just be like ingrained in them and how like a white man was calling a black woman aggressive even though she wasn't raising her voice in Mm -hmm. any way and so I think it's um I think it's great that these conversations are had especially on a show that gets so many viewers yeah on mainstream tv absolutely yeah yeah and I also think it's like telling I'll let you get into your thing in two seconds but I just want to say like I think the only way for a show like survive or any show that is more than 20 years old right oh yeah the only way for a show that started more than 20 years ago to stay relevant is to adapt to the times. The world is so different from 20 years ago. Like the social climate is so different. Like they mm. literally wouldn't be able to exist anymore, at least not successfully without adapting. I think that's one of the best things that they do, I think. Yeah, I yeah. totally agree. So in saying uh, all of these things I'm going to talk about, also spoiler alert, if you haven't watched oh, yeah. Survivor, <laughs> uh, like Cara, you are going to learn some things today. Oh, I'm so sorry. you spoil some things for me? I am going to spoil some things, not majorly, but there are some major spoilers if you uh, haven't watched some Survivor seasons. Mm-hmm. I will mention at the beginning of everything I'm going to discuss what season i'm talking about in case you don't want to hear it maybe in this description you should put like the top three seasons you think people should start with if they want to start watching survivor i absolutely will because i'm a, I'm a passionate advocate for yes. more people watching survivor and there are some incredible seasons to start with so i'll idea. leave them in the show notes Okay, so the first person I want to talk about today is a man called John Rocker, and he was cast on season 29 of Survivor, which is Blood vs. Water 2. Blood vs. Water is a premise where there is one tribe of um, people, and on the other tribe is their loved ones. So they they know people in the game, but they're on an opposite tribe Mm -hmm. to them at the beginning. Okay, so John Rocker is a former American relief pitcher who played six seasons in Major League Baseball, primarily with the Atlanta Braves. And something Survivor really loved to do is cast former Mm. sports people um, and see if people recognize them Mm. because a lot of the time they do and it creates like a target on their back instantly. Yeah. The thing with John Rocker is that he was also known for several homophobic and racist comments that he had made in the media. Uh, Mm. A couple of these are 
quote, it's depressing. The biggest thing I don't like about New York are the foreigners. You can walk an entire block in Times Square and not hear anybody speaking English. Asians and Koreans and Vietnamese and Indians and Russians and Spanish people and everything up there. How the hell did they get into this country? Oh, God. That's awful. Yeah. That's disgusting. As well as that. Oh, there's more. Great. <laughs> as well as this that. This is pre-Survivor, just this, to be clear. This is pre-Survivor. Okay. Yeah. As well as that, Rocker defended a former teammate um, for referring to a sports columnist as a fag. He claimed that it was not a derogatory term and that in Venezuela, the term only questions another man's courage rather than his sexual orientation. Mm. No. So going into um, going into Survivor, he didn't have a great reputation in general. As well as that, in March 2007, he was implicated in a steroid ring. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> who is this man? And then in December 2011, he did admit to using steroids. So when he got cast on Survivor, obviously, like, they were probably doing it in the sense of, like, people were going to know who he was. And there was a woman on this season of Survivor called Natalie Anderson. Love her. Mm-hmm. Queen energy. I'm ex- no idea who she is. I'm, but... a- I'm excited for us to watch that season. I think okay. you'll really like her. Natalie is a very confident, strong woman. And something that happened was basically John Rocker, his tribe was losing quite a lot and they were losing a lot, a lot of tribe mates. And after an immunity challenge where his tribe lost, Natalie Anderson, who was on the other tribe, started saying to them, do something different, vote John Rocker out. Because she mm-hmm. knew about his previous things and as a woman of color herself, mm-hmm. she did not stand for anything that he said. Good. Um, and in saying that, his girlfriend was on Natalie Anderson's tribe with her. Oh, shit. Because we're playing the Blood versus Water season. Yeah. So as Natalie started, like, saying, like, vote him out, change things up, why are you siding with a racist and a homophobe and Ooh. things like this, he replied to her saying, if you were a man, I would knock your teeth out. Just vote him out, get together. And board him out. If you, if you were a man, I would knock your teeth out. Oh you look like God. a man. You can knock me out, bro. Knock me out. I'm not scared of you, bro. I'm not scared of you. Like the other back. guys in the tribe. I'm not scared of you. John. Just, uh, at this point, why are we still talking about Like, I'm ready to get the hell back to camp. Take all the stuff down. Let's fight. Lovely. Mm. I love a bit of just casual physical assault threats yeah interesting episode like i was like icon natalie anderson like (laughs) love her and appreciate what she was standing up for and i really appreciate obviously this being aired because like he was so awful Mm. during this him and julie have since broken up fyi good Good for for her (laughs) good for julie but um after this his tribe voted him out so also good for them okay next i want to move on to season 39 which is island of the idols and we're gonna focus on um dan spilo spilo i'm gonna say spilo here um and this was a really controversial season for quite a few reasons. It's not a very well-liked season Mm -hmm. um, by the Survivor community. But the main reason we're focusing on Dan here is because Dan actually ended up getting removed from the show due to sexual harassment. And it was a really um, confronting thing to watch play out. I remember watching this season and just feeling really like 
a lot of the way, a lot of the behavior of the cast members in this like really real life situation was super inappropriate. Mm. And it was very interesting because some of the women felt, you know, uh, harassed by him or uncomfortable around him, but then felt that it was good for them to keep him in the show because he was good for their game. And they allowed mm. that to overtake, um, you know, the fact that he was, like, making a lot of women uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So it was a very, very interesting season to watch. And I just want to quote something that a, a castmate, Callie, said. So Callie, um, who is incredible on this season, and I wish that she had gone further in the game, she was one of the main people speaking up about the way that Dan was making her feel. And on the show, she also referred to herself as a germaphobe. So she really didn't like people touching her or Mm -hmm. being near her anyway, especially in that environment. So towards the beginning of the season, she said, Dan is a really touchy person. He makes me feel a little uncomfortable. He has a lack of spatial awareness. Then later in the season, when she is talking to camera in a confessional, she says, you can't do anything about it. There are always consequences for standing up. This happens in real life, in work settings, in school. Like, you can't say anything because it's going to affect your upward trajectory. It's going to affect how people look at you. The fact that it makes me, Lauren, Elizabeth, Missy, like, all Molly, like, it made all of us uncomfortable. Like, this isn't just one person. It's a pattern. Like, it's a pattern. And it's like, yeah, like, it takes five people to be like, man, like, the way that I'm feeling about this is like actually real. Like it's not in my head. Like I'm not overreacting to it. It's like, no, like he literally has done these things to five different women in this game. You know, if there are issues to the yeah. point where things need to happen, yeah. come to me and I will make sure that stops. That's, I don't I don't want anyone feeling uncomfortable. I think it'll stop because Janet is here. Okay. Yeah. I, I just want to make sure this is not like, it's not okay. Yeah. And then after Kelly's confessional, the producers of the show had a meeting with all of the castmates to remind them about appropriate behavior and touching, and they issued Dan a private and formal warning. So the way that this plays out is very interesting. There's an older woman called Janet on the tribe who a lot of the younger women go to to talk to her about, you know, how they're feeling around Dan. And Janet hasn't felt uncomfortable around Dan, but she approaches him and talks to him about it on behalf of the young women and really tries to do something about Mm. it. Kelly really wants to get Dan voted out because he makes her uncomfortable Mm. and she, um, you know, that's the way that she feels. She would rather him get voted out. But then all of this weird stuff happens and eventually they decide to vote Kelly out of the game. Kelly? Yeah. The one who has said these things about him. Yes. What's his name again? Dan. Hmm. This is, I mean, like, I'm sh- I'm shocked, but I really shouldn't be because this is how things play out a lot of the time in the, in the real world. And, like, you were just saying f- through the quote from Kelly, like, and what you are saying at the beginning of the episode, like, Survivor is, the reason why it's so interesting is because it is a microcosm of the real world. Yeah. It is people of all these backgrounds put on an island and they're forced to coexist and they're forced to make nice and they're forced to work together. And it is interesting because... You know, a lot of people are like, oh, it's just the game. Like, we need him for the game. Like, or we need him to stay because of this or this person's making waves. But it's like, these are the excuses that are used Mm. in everyday life when it comes to sexual assault as well. Yeah. It's, we can't fire this employee because we need him. Or we can't do this because we need her. And it's Mm. just, it's just all the same shit. 
And it just shows what real life is like. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that whilst this was honestly a really confronting episode to watch because of the way that people prioritize the game Mm. over how uncomfortable even they were feeling, they were like, I would rather feel uncomfortable and be in a better position in the game. I really think that like, because I know this all sounds super negative right now, but I really think there is something to learn Mm -hmm. from most of these situations Mm. and I think that it is a reminder to like speak up about the experiences that you're having and like a woman like Janet who I just so appreciate in this season who really took these younger women under her wing and Mm. spoke up for them was a really powerful thing to do in my opinion Um, but it is really disappointing the way that other things played out however the women who did vote Kelly out did come out and apologize for the way that they behaved after doing Mm -hmm. so because they recognized that they did the wrong thing Mm -hmm. interesting so in terms of what ended up happening with Dan he actually eventually got removed from the show because Dan reportedly touched a female producer's thigh as he was getting into a transport boat and that is what made the survivor producers decide to pull him from the game he didn't Mm. appear at the reunion Um, there was a bit of disappointment surrounding this that when it happened to a crew member he got removed Um, obviously this was done after a private and formal warning so it does make sense in some way and you would hope that if he had done this to a cast member after the warning that he would get removed as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad he got removed in the end. I'm glad he got no platform to talk about, you know, or make any apology at the reunion because I think that he clearly was making a lot of young women feel uncomfortable. Okay, from here I want to move on to a little bit more of a positive one. <laughs> um, and I want to talk about when Natalie wins over Russell in season 19 of Survivor Samoa. So for a bit of backstory, Russell Hance is known as one of the greatest Survivor villains of all time. Mm -hmm. I personally enjoy watching him for his gameplay and the fact that I do think he's incredibly strategic and Mm. things like that. Um, Do you find him likable? No. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because I personally thought he was the most unlikable person in the whole entire world. He's incredibly unlikable. He's just very, very Very good good at Survivor. Yeah. And with that being said, though, he's never won. So Mm. how good is he at Survivor (laughs) with saying that? You know what I mean? But something that was really interesting about this season, and there's been a lot of controversy, like, from the fans of, like, Natalie didn't deserve to win, Russell deserved to win. And I honestly, like, see both sides. I don't Mm -hmm. really know where I stand with this. But how Survivor works, if you're new to the game, is that the people who are voted out decide who wins at the final three or final two. And... So really, like, you need to vote people out but still have them respect you enough to vote you to win. Mm. And when it came to this season, Russell was, like, the main character in this season. Like, he went into the merge with an alliance of four against, like, I think it was uh, eight or nine Mm -hmm. on the other side. And he managed to get him and two of his alliance members to the final three. Mm -hmm. He was the best game player in this season. However... No one liked him. Exactly. Which is a key thing in Survivor because it's like, it's all well and good to be, you know, the boss and telling people what to do and stepping on toes and finessing your way to the end. But when you get to the end, who the fuck's going to vote for you? Exactly. And this is what's so interesting about, like, when we talk about Survivor gameplay, which is the, you know, I love this shit Mm -hmm. so much. Maybe we should start a whole podcast on Survivor gameplay. Honestly. I'm like, (laughs) I just, like, love talking about Survivor because it is fascinating. Mm. You need to 
not be the biggest threat, but not be the weakest person because then no one's going to vote for you to win. You need to vote people off, but do it in a way that doesn't piss them off and resent Mm. you. And it's very, it's just so fascinating. Like I always think about the day when I play Survivor, (laughs) I really am like, how would I navigate that? Like, would I go into it being, you know, myself and being kind and authentic and then stabbing people in the back? Because mm. then are they going to respect that or are they going to be like, you were deceiving me the whole time? I think I think history shows us that they would say you're deceiving them the whole time. Yeah, yeah. and that's the thing. Like, it also depends, like, when you vote people out, like, every season that is won, if they had an entirely different jury with different people, it could be a different winner every time. Well, this is what I was going to say, is like you can't really know fully your game plan until you get to the game because you need to assess all the personalities mm-hmm. and who's who and like that kind of thing. Like yeah. You can have an idea, I feel, but it wouldn't be until you're there on the island or like at the location that you can really figure out, okay, what's my strategy? Yeah, because it depends on the people mm. that you're around. Mm-hmm. And this is exactly what Russell did wrong in this season, is that he thought that people would respect his gameplay. And honestly, when it came to this final tribal council, I went into this watching it for the first time being like, Russell's got this in the bag. He's 100% going to win. And when Natalie won, I was surprised, except for one thing. There was a member of the jury called Eric, and he got voted off pretty early into the merge. But he made this tribal council speech that, in my opinion, and in the opinion of a lot of other Survivor fans, changed the game and convinced a lot of the jury to vote for Natalie. Good for Eric. Good for Natalie. Natalie. People will call you weak. People will say that you are undeserving. But you know what? Why are those characteristics any less admirable as lying, cheating, and stealing? Why does he get a free pass, but your wrong way of playing is admonished? If there's one thing that I learned in this game, it is that perception is not reality. Reality is reality. And you are sitting there, and that makes you just as dangerous as any one of those guys there. You would say that you were probably the least deserving of the title of Soul Survivor. But maybe, just maybe, in an environment filled with arrogance, delusional entitlement, maybe the person who thinks that she's least deserving is probably the most. You got my vote. I hope you get four more. Congratulations. Oh my god, I just got goosebumps. Me too, and I've literally watched that so many times. It's like such an incredible thing that he did and I think it really shows you how like a survivor winner is like can be anyone like it doesn't have to be that strong strategic threat and there have been a lot of controversial winners of survivor in the past and she's definitely one of them because she's so quiet the entire season she really Mm. doesn't say much but it's like it's true like she's a really sweet genuine nice person who was not cruel to anyone Mm -hmm. so why doesn't she deserve a million dollars in for getting through that experience yeah and again like this is another representation of sometimes the real world like Mm -hmm. there is more than one way to be successful there is more than one way to be liked and to be appreciated and respected like you and it's and honestly a lot of the time we are taught like from men it is being the boss it's being like the person who's like running the show and stuff like that and like stepping on toes and like this is particularly the case in like business mm. but that's not the case all the time and i do think that it shows that exactly what that speech said like you can be what you are and still be deserving of success because 
they're all valid qualities except for the lying and cheating and stealing valid (laughs) but i think this is why like when i've I've listened to a lot of survivor podcasts before and like i you know i'm fully immersed in this survivor culture and what a lot of people say is if you won the season you won the season Mm -hmm. and that's that like one of my favorite survivor winners of all time michelle was criticized a lot for the fact that she didn't deserve to win and you know she she copped a lot of criticism for it but the fact is is like she won yeah. The most people on the jury who played the game with her thought that she deserved Wanted to win. Wanted to vote for her. So, That's yeah. the winner. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so next I want to talk about the men of season 30, which is white collar versus blue collar versus no collar. Mm-hmm. And this is a season that I find this cast absolutely polarizing, to be honest. And it was a great casting job in the sense that there were so many hateable people (laughs) and also so many likable people in a way and just like a lot of different people to relate Mm to in particular i just want to talk about a few moments in this season that were very very interesting um and really uh showed a lot of like difference in opinion Mm -hmm. i would say like personally i disagree with all of these people that i'm going to talk about okay the first person i'm going to talk about is rodney and a couple of um things that he said in general he seemed to have this idea of women that was like so outdated um and there's a quote from him saying girls need to hold themselves to a higher standard than guys men are dogs but we want angels that's how me and my boys are oh wait how old was this man i reckon he would have been in like his 20s grow the fuck up very very interesting like the way the way that he spoke to people in general was absolutely baffling i was like surely someone's gonna take this guy to the end of the game because there's no way that he's winning like super unlikable he's so unlikable and i literally don't know how like there was one woman who like stood up to him and she ended up getting voted out but like so many other people just like kept their mouth shut it was like fascinating because i'm like how do you not bite at a man like that when he's saying i would not be able to hold back i would not care at the million dollars i would be (laughs) having a go with that man yeah fully as well as that we have a man called will who started attacking a woman called shireen who i really felt for because i feel like she was always like like outcast in the season and like she was definitely quirky and different and a lot of the men really didn't like her And Will was, you know, rude and cruel to her a lot of the time on the show. And in particular, at a tribal council, he was attacking her, saying that she's a loser with no family and that no one loves her outside the game. And little did he know that Shireen actually came from an emotionally abusive home and she doesn't have family because of that and he was instead of like apologizing and like you know he was given the space to apologize to shireen he basically just like kept being defensive and being like well i didn't know that so what was i supposed to say and like it was it was just baffling and so sad because shireen is clearly so triggered in that moment Mm. and so like vulnerable and you just really feel for her and Although these moments are, like, awful, like, I have to say, like, there are some things that have happened on Survivor that are so awful, like, something that is nice in a way, like, if we're trying to find, like, the The silver silver lining, lining. (laughs) is that there are people in this season who, you know, connected with her and supported her through 
through these yeah. things. And I think it is really beautiful to think about the mm. way that you can rely on people that you barely know for emotional support, that it's also just like so awful the way that people can talk to one another. And so freely talk like that to someone on something that you know is going to go out to the entire world. Yeah. To your entire country. Like four million people are going to be watching it. Well, the and you're thing talking is like this. with this season is that they didn't see anything wrong with what they were saying. <laughs> oh, like... God. Anyway, so then we have someone called Dan and... Another Dan. Another Dan, <laughs> who he as well um, mentioned at one point about when he was talking about Shireen. He said, I just want to slap her. Why um, was she, like? Why do they all hate her? I think because she's a strong feminist woman, honestly. Oh, my God, that's so fucking typical as well as that dan um called rodney's mother a whore and then after this happened dan went to the media and was slating the show saying that he had been edited to look bad like i personally yeah it's did you (laughs) did you call him his own whore or not well this is what (laughs) happened and this was like an iconic moment in survivor history because uh he said to Jeff in an interview he said Mm -hmm. that he said to Jeff you did me wrong you did me dirty you screwed me on my edit you made me look like a piece of shit and then Jeff said how do you figure and Dan said you cherry-picked things to show sometimes out of context so then at the reunion Jeff said are we talking about you calling Rodney's mother a whore and Dan said yes we were joking about something and so like that's why I said it and so Jeff said I usually wouldn't do this but seeing as you have been slating the show in mm. the media um I'm gonna pull the raw footage for you <laughs> yes and they Jeff, watched <laughs> they watched the raw footage live at the reunion and he was just um what did he, did he say anything he was basically just being like, you're, you're just, you just keep trying to make me look bad. Like You said these things, dude. Yeah, it was like polarizing because it was just like super, super interesting. Wait, it's so fucking typical of someone who is that arrogant and that awful to just like defend themselves, defend themselves without even like any thought of like, did I do something wrong? They're so confident in their awfulness mm-hmm. that they just, they have a, they have a response to everything. Yeah hideous i know okay so moving on i want to talk about a couple that are just kind of like sweet and funny oh my God. Wait, things wait, wait. oh no sorry i thought you said a couple i thought you're gonna talk about boston rob okay i'm gonna get there obviously oh, sorry. okay but first i want to talk about um billy and his love at first sight moment in season 13 of survivor cook islands so this was in an earlier episode where billy knows that he's gonna get voted out if his tribe um like loses at the Mm -hmm. immunity challenge and his tribe does lose and he's visibly like upset and down and he's standing next to the other tribe and the other tribe has a woman called candace on it and she's standing with some of the other women she (laughs) turns to him and he says oh and she says oh we love you like being like it's gonna be okay (laughs) like all of that and he took that as her being in love with him. And as he's at tribal council, he's talking about like how he found love on the island with Candace from the other tribe who he's never had a rough conversation with. And like that's enough for him. My prize isn't even the million dollars. My prize was that I, I, fell, in, I, I fell in love in this game. Love at first sight. Her name is Candace. And uh, in between... <laughs> Candace from Ruro tribe. Yeah, after the last challenge... We sort of mouthed the words, I love you, to one another. And so that was my prize. And my prize was her. 
I've never heard anything that surprised me more than what you just said. And I want to be respectful because I don't know what happened, but what would she base feeling the same way you feel on? I think it's just, you know, love at first sight. I think it's just a, 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 a rapport thing. So you're absolutely sincere right now. I'm dead serious. And it's so interesting because like relationships on Survivor are so fascinating in general, like whether they're romantic or platonic, because like people just, you know, get connected to people that they normally wouldn't interact with in yeah. the outside world. And that's what's interesting. And that's what I love so much about this game is like you are put on an island with so many people that you would never meet otherwise. Mm. And in this experience, like, you know, they didn't know anything about each other. Like Candace was trying to be nice in the moment and he took it as a completely different thing. And it's just like one of those iconic, iconic survival moments that you look back on and you're like, wow, people are just so fascinating with the way that they perceive things. And how many days in did he, did he have this interaction where you thought? I reckon that- it would have been like maybe six days in. Okay. So it wasn't even like so far in. Cause like, I feel like they get to a point in Survivor where like they're 20 days in or they're 15 days in and you're like, okay, you're deeply exhausted. You're deeply exhausted. You're starving. Mm-hmm. You haven't slept a good night's sleep in two weeks. You can kind of understand the the way that your mind might kind of like start to consider things to be different to how they actually are. Totally. But six days in, I like know. you're hungry and you're tired, but you're not yeah. dying at it's, this stage. It just shows you how different <laughs> they didn't date, did they? No. <laughs> She got asked at one point and she was like, no, I just said, we love you because that I makes felt me feel bad. That makes me feel quite bad for him. I know. And, and people remember it from Survivor. And you're, and now, and you're now part of the reason. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Another beautiful thing I want to talk about is the Robin Amber love story because you can't talk about iconic Survivor moments, relationships, and like, I guess how it's more than a game than uh, Mm. with Rob and Amber's relationship. So Rob and Amber were both cast in Survivor 8 of All Stars. So they'd both previously played, Mm -hmm. got cast. And at the beginning, I feel like people thought they seemed like an odd match, but they are not an odd match because they're still married and they have four children. And (laughs) it is just like the most iconic if you ever have like just some time spare and you want to watch something wholesome that makes you feel good you need to go on youtube and watch robin amber's full story because it is just so sweet and so wholesome it's like an hour and a half on the survivor channel but it's worth it it's absolutely worth it like it's so sweet the way that they are and basically what's so iconic about them and their relationship is that they make it to the final two and it's just the two of them and then when they are at the live reading of the votes to see who wins before jeff reads the votes rob Oh my God, Amber. I know I was watching it before <laughs> recording this episode and I was like getting goosebumps watching and just like smiling so I was like it's just so sweet and she's wearing this shirt that says I heart Rob yeah. and it's so iconic they are an iconic survivor duo and I think once again it shows you how much survivor is like more than a game because like this beautiful relationship evolved within this game and they both went right to the end it managed to be like a really genuine beautiful Mm. relationship and i think we see that come from survivor a lot like not romantic relationships but so many platonic beautiful Mm -hmm. relationships that people have with people that again once again they wouldn't have met otherwise it's also very special i feel like to witness those first few moments where people are really obviously we only see a certain tiny fraction on survivor 
but mm. you see them become close. You see them kind of kiss and like, yeah. it's just so sweet. It's so sweet. <laughs> Another beautiful relationship I want to talk about is Suri and Michaela's relationship on season 34 of Game Changers. So Suri and Michaela are both black women and Suri is older than Michaela. She, I'd say she's maybe like 20 years older mm. than Michaela. It's very interesting because in Michaela's first season, she got perceived as this quite like aggressive, blunt, um, like negative woman. Mm-hmm. Whereas Suri is quite the opposite. She's like one of Survivor's like uh, golden children who Most like loved. everyone just mm. loves her. And there's this really great conversation where they talk to each other and they they talk to the cameras about you know how Suri said you know I used to be like Michaela mm-hmm. and I used to feel like I had to be this way and, and and this is who I was and over time she talked about how she like evolved and stuff like that and there's this really nice conversation that they have where Suri really like almost coaches Michaela on like you know it's okay to like not be that way mm-hmm. like um you know and they talk about the fact that as black women they want to stay together like there's mm-hmm. never been two black women at the end of the game together and how that's like such an important thing to do because they always get pitted against each other and it's like that goes beyond the game absolutely that is who they are and their relationship is so much more Mm -hmm. than a game for a million dollars it's about you know their history and Mm -hmm. their life and like uh you know who they will continue to be in the future and it's very very inspiring to see people having conversations like that yeah it's like those moments of empathy and understanding and like connection where like people like i see you i know why you're like this because like I've been like you. Yeah. And I am here to tell you that, like, you don't have to be like this if you don't want to. Yeah. Yeah, I really liked that moment as well. Absolutely. Okay, something we definitely need to talk about, which is quite a heavy thing, is that in season 34 of Game Changers, Zeke gets outed Mm. for being transgender by a cast member called Jeff Varner. Jeff Varner is a gay man, and they have quite a bond um, based on being members of the LGBT community and just get along very well. And Zeke, this is his second time playing the game. And in that whole time, he had never told anyone that he is transgender. Jeff Farner is knowing that he's going to get voted out. Mm. And he, you know, has this last ditch effort to try and get himself out of being voted out. And this is a quote um, of sort of how this goes down. So Varna says, there is deception here. Deception on levels that these guys don't even understand. And there's more. Why haven't you told anyone you're transgender? This is a very confronting thing to watch. Cara and I actually watched this recently. Mm -hmm. And it was probably like the fourth or fifth time I'd watched it. And every time it makes me cry because it is such a vulnerable moment. And you see how all of the cast like react to this and they all react so differently Mm. and Ty in particular who is a gay man is extremely confronted by his friend being outed on national television it's just like such an emotional experience and what I do want to share is the fact that it's public knowledge that uh, Zeke gave them the go-ahead to air it because he felt like it was an important thing to be aired so that people can be aware Mm. of the way that how someone who already is a member of the LGBTQI plus community can still say that that is deception in some way. Yeah. A fucked up thing to do. It is a very 
very yeah it's a confronting thing to watch Mm. as well as that again I want to talk about the beauty of it in some Mm. way like I don't think that that was beautiful in any way but the way that the other members of the cast reacted and supported Zeke is something that is very beautiful I agree and that was something that was the way that they all emotionally reacted to that Mm was incredibly powerful the way they stood up for him the way that they were an ally the way that that conversation continued in the next episode and they really you know they made the decision to make it a moment for people to learn yeah and i think they made it a human moment like absolutely. i think that moment absolutely like i'm getting goosebumps again you give me goosebumps so many times <laughs> during this episode I think that whole scenario, which, like you said, Zeke did give the producers the go-ahead to actually include it, it really was a moment that you watched and you were like, these people aren't in the game right now. Mm-hmm. They are in real life with a, someone they respect and love on some level and know, even if they're not allies with Zeke. Yeah. They are feeling this intense emotion because they know the violation and the disrespect that has just occurred. Mm-hmm. They're not in the game. It's like obviously Jeff was, you know, he was in the game. That's why he said it. Yeah. And he compromised his morals and his views and what he stands for as a member of that community to out Zeke mm. knowingly. And I just, I, what I found really powerful was that, yeah, that intense emotional reaction that instantly happened the second that Zeke was outed. Yeah. Because it just showed that. For a lot of people in that in that um, series, like it goes beyond the game. Like there is still mm-hmm. a human element that comes out when people are really tested. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's like when a lot of Survivor fans think about um, you know iconic moments in Survivor history. I think that that is one of them for the social mm-hmm. impact that that made. And I think it once again just reiterates how like survivor for me and for so many people like i could do podcast episode upon (laughs) podcast episode of the gameplay of survivor it is fascinating but the thing about this series is the fact that it really allows you to connect with people Mm -hmm. like even as a viewer that you normally wouldn't come across absolutely and i appreciate that so much there are so many people that i feel like i have learned from Mm -hmm. watching this show There's so much language that I have learned that is a great way to be able to communicate about these issues. Mm -hmm. There There is just so much to be appreciated about the show other than the gameplay and the challenges Mm -hmm. and the million-dollar check or whatever the prize pool is in Mm -hmm. in, uh, the non-US series. Because I think in any situation where you pull people from different walks of life and put them together, there is going to be something to be learned because there is going to be some form of conflict or connection. And that's what I think is really beautiful. That's why, to me, Survivor is such an iconic moment in my pop culture experience Mm -hmm. because I I get the entertainment, but I also get the education. Mm -hmm. And I think that is a really beautiful combination to have wow is that the end of your segment that's the end of my segment wow i loved that i loved that because some of them i really knew about and some of them i had no idea about like Uh you 
are the survivor queen you're the survivor encyclopedia thank you so it makes sense that you just did that and it makes sense to me that this was such a huge like pop culture thing for you because like you said it's been a huge thing since the age of 14 it's still going now and there have been so many moments that have just like made an impact and you can kind of see the way that society has evolved since the show started through the things that have happened in the show absolutely and exactly like what you said about this season that we are watching currently that's currently airing like the talk about casual racism and how just because someone's saying that you maybe contribute to microaggressions against people of color Mm. or maybe because you contribute to casual racism that doesn't mean that you need to get on the defensive saying you're calling me racist like that's kind of what happened this season I think that's going to be something that will eventually be talked about in Survivor history as well yeah absolutely totally I think it's important to note as well something that I think has been really important is the fact that uh, CBS and Survivor have now uh, committed to casting a minimum of 50 Mm percent people of color in their seasons which is something that was a very important thing and an important initiative for them to bring in because it was severely lacking Mm -hmm. in the previous seasons. And as well as that, they have also been diversifying the genders and diversifying the sexual orientation that they cast on the show, which I think is really important. I do want to note as well that there are many other iconic (laughs) Survivor moments and uh, socially important moments that I didn't get to cover in this episode because there are simply too many but if you have any that you really love that you want to talk to me about in the dms or that you feel like made an impact on you please dm me because we'd love to chat about it you could talk about survivor all day i could i mean that's how you got me onto it you just kept talking about it and i was like fine i'll watch it now you're obsessed (laughs) (laughs) okay miss reedy i am so excited to hear what you are talking to me about today because i actually have absolutely no idea what you could possibly be discussing but i'm ready to learn something about your pop culture history okay so mine is not as serious as yours I want to say that mm-hmm. last time I spoke about Christina Aguilera's dirty and I kind of talked about the feminist aspects and the empowerment and like all that kind of stuff. I feel like that was like a semi like serious kind of topic. Mm-hmm. Yours was obviously very serious talking about all those social issues. This one's quite lighthearted. I'm just going to say that today I will be talking to you about none other than Hillary Duff and the way that this bitch ruled my childhood okay so it does make sense when i said the the tide is high <laughs> reference that's literally when I, I, when I mentioned that at the beginning of the episode and then you said then you looked at me like that and like said something i was like is she gonna talk about lizzie mcguire <laughs> like is that what's gonna happen you, do you disapprove oh no i don't disapprove okay. i wasn't like a hillary duff bitch i was a lizzie mcguire bitch okay that was gonna be my first question was were you a hillary duff person growing up or were you just like you kind of watched her movies or shows like every now and then but weren't a huge fan i would say every now and again but i was i was a hoe for for (laughs) lizzie mcguire yeah Yeah. as you should be as we all should be yeah okay so some basic facts to start us off right please just some biographical facts Uh kind of so hillary erhard duff interesting middle name i think it's her dad's middle name that she also got it's e-r-h-a-r-d I did look at it and I thought it maybe might might have been one of those names where like spelled backwards it was something like interesting and quirky. It's not. It backwards it's like Jura, so it's not that. It's not that. Hillary Erhard Duff was born on September twenty eighth, nineteen eighty seven, in Houston, Texas. Good for a her. Texas bitch. She's a Libra. 
That kind of makes a lot of sense. Yeah, you like a Libra, don't you? I do. Yeah. I do like a Libra. <laughs> I haven't found one yet. <laughs> well, maybe you'll find some Hillary Duff after this. Maybe yeah. she'll some Hillary Duff tonight. <laughs> she's five foot two. So she's out here representing the short queens of the world. That's me. I'm five foot two. That's almost as short as you, yeah. No, wait, I'm five foot two. I thought you were five foot one. Are you taking the piss right now? Absolutely. Okay, yeah. I'm not five foot one. <laughs> no hate anyone who is, but I'm five foot two. Great. Proud. She was homeschooled from the age of eight which you'll kind of see why as we kind of get into like her career. Mm -hmm. And she had a clothing line in Target at one stage. And I just want to quickly make this about me. The reason why I'm bringing this up is that she had a clothing line at Target and I actually got my first period when I was trying on clothes from her clothing line at Target. (laughs) I love this story. (laughs) Have I told this on the podcast before? I don't don't know if I have. My dad one day took me to Target to get some Hilary Duff fucking designed clothes. I was trying on these like super cute like three-quarter white pants. And I pulled them down, pulled down my like my pants. It was like, hmm. What's that? It was blood. I got my period. I got the pants because my dad was like horrified and wanted to get me out of the store. So he was like, I'll buy you anything. Let's just leave. Anyway, so that's also where my life intersects with Hilary Duff's Uh career. But let's get into who the fuck Hilary Duff, the actress, the superstar, the iconic bitch is. Yeah. So she did a few television commercials and small kind of like extra-ish roles um, throughout throughout her childhood. But then she landed the role of Wendy in Casper Meets Wendy in 1998. So she was 11. That was like her first big movie. She's so fucking cute in it. Have you seen that movie? No. So cute. So then in 2001, at the age of 13, she landed Lizzie McGuire, the protagonist. You know, Lizzie McGuire. Everyone fucking knows Lizzie McGuire. So arguably this is the role that she's most well known for. But a little fun fact, and it's also kind of a horrifying fact, is that she almost didn't play Lizzie. Because she was actually set to star in... I can't even say this seriously because it sounds so ridiculous. She was also set to star in a show called Daddy-O. I literally just put question marks after this because I was like, what the frightful is this show? Uh-huh. As a supporting character. Like, as, like, the daughter of one of the main characters. Right. But she was dropped before production start. Like, right before production start, they were like, I oh, don't want you anymore. So she was dropped. So if she had have been on this show, she would have been contracted to, like, two seasons. That's usually how, like, stuff worked back then. Yeah. And you can't obviously do other projects. So she was dropped. And then a week later, she she was offered the role of Lizzie. She Great. got the role of Lizzie. Can you imagine? If she wasn't Lizzie McGuire. If she McGuire. wasn't Lizzie McGuire. Horrifying reality. Horrifying. Hilary Duff is Lizzie McGuire. Mm-hmm. So I feel like a lot of people will be f- familiar with Lizzie McGuire, especially people like our listeners to the show because we're relatively like 20s, like 30s kind of like women. Mm-hmm. Very huge and iconic in our childhoods. But if you're not, Lizzie McGuire followed a teen girl, obviously named Lizzie, and her two best friends as they kind of navigated their early teenage years. And I personally think Hilary Duff made Lizzie McGuire. Oh, I agree. She, like the storylines were cute and they were fun and they were relatable, but Hilary Duff was just so likable, so charismatic, so mm. endearing that you just really rooted for this character. And I think that's why when she was like, when I read that thing about her almost like, I guess, not doing the part of Lizzie, mm. kind of really, it shook me to my core because I was like, I don't know this show would have been as successful or the same without Hillary Duff. I don't think it would have. I don't think it would be such a moment for people of our generation if Hillary Duff wasn't Lizzie McGuire. Mm-hmm. 
And another little fun fact is, and I don't know if you're going to be as shook about this as I was, but speaking of, I don't know if the show would be as successful without Hilary Duff, Lindsay Lohan was in the running to play Lizzie McGuire. That doesn't feel like right. No, it doesn't feel right. I love Lindsay Lohan. Mm. I think she's iconic. I adore so many of her movies, but I just don't think it would have been the same if she played Lizzie. I just don't think she has the same energy as Hilary Duff that lended itself really well to Lizzie McGuire. So much of Lizzie McGuire as a character felt like Hilary Duff. Like yes. it didn't feel like it felt like half of her personality was Hilary's. I completely agree, yeah. Mm. And as a little side note, like I'm not going to get too much into this, but there was this like long-running like rumor of a feud between Lindsay Lohan and Hilary Duff growing up. Oh. You're not aware of this? No. Okay. I don't know if this is just because I was so <laughs> deep in the Hilary Duff lifestyle uh-huh. or if because I was like obsessed with gossip blogs when I was a teenager. But yeah, there was this like rumor of a feud. They both dated Aaron Carter. It was like they were fighting over the boy and like obviously maybe because they were going for similar roles because they were both kind of like sweet all-American actresses. Yeah. But you know, like Lindsay Lohan almost got Lizzie McGuire, but Hilary Duff was actually offered the lead role in Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen. Oh. And then obviously Lindsay Lohan played that, which again, I actually don't think that that would have been the same without no. Lindsay Lohan. Yeah. So it's funny how like you see how things kind of work out, like even though these actresses are both so talented and so great, they just kind of got the roles that kind of fit them. Yeah. Okay, so going back to Lizzie McGuire, it was such an unbelievably successful show, like more than Disney could ever imagine. Mm-hmm. It became the most successful Disney original series ever for the time. I think the only time that it kind of surpassed that was with Hannah Montana. Yeah, I was going to say, it yeah. feels like the only thing that would have been more than that was Hannah Montana. Exactly. Yeah. And to put it in perspective, at the peak of Lizzie McGuire, Lizzie McGuire's popularity, the merchandise for Lizzie McGuire alone, which is like only like books and clothes and the soundtracks, uh-huh. was bringing in Disney $100 million every year. <laughs> Just the merchandise. Just the merch. Like, what the fuck? So crazy. I can actually visibly remember when I was young and my mum would let me go to Video Easy and you could get, like, five weekly rentals for $10. Mm. And I would always get Lizzie McGuire and So Little Time. That was, like, my my go-to. And then I'd get a few other things, but I just wanted to watch those on repeat. Mm -hmm. I had the Lizzie McGuire box set. I was lucky enough to have it. And I was obsessed. I think Mm -hmm. I still have it at my parents' house. It was... It's just so good. That's worth a rewatch. It absolutely is. I think it's on Disney+. Plus. From my perspective, I think the reason Lizzie McGuire did so well was because it did seem like one of the more relatable kind of shows out there mm-hmm. for young girls. Like, they showed the struggle of being cool and navigating crushes, fighting with your friends, and, like, even just, like, really kind of almost awkward things. Like, they had this really very iconic episode in the first season where Lizzie wants to buy her first bra. Yeah, that episode is, like, the most iconic. Like, it's so when iconic. I think about Lizzie McGuire, I think about her walking in that puffy dress in Italy in the movie, yeah. and I think about the bra episode. I want a bra. Yeah. <laughs> I want a bra, okay? A bra! A bra we want a bra! I want a bra! A bra! So Disney actually originally said they didn't want to do that episode because they thought it was too controversial to show a young girl shopping for her first bra. Wow. Which kind of just shows how out of touch, I guess, the world was back then because, yeah. like... And also, I guess, like, maybe that's some casual, like, sexism, even from, like, a super young age towards young girls. Mm -hmm. But this is what girls actually go through. Like, the awkwardness of, like, wanting to buy your first bra, but, like, it's, oh, it's uncomfortable to ask your mom and stuff like that. And, like, your mom wants to go with you and she's so embarrassing. And so I think 
in a lot of ways, Lizzie McGuire showed the awkward reality of being a young girl while also being fun and funny and like relatively lighthearted. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't obviously a super deep show. You had fun watching it. So the series only ran for two seasons from 2001, 2004, but they had 65 episodes in total. So the seasons had like 31 and 34 episodes. But each. it's still criminal. That's all they it had. Is, it is still criminal. We obviously also had the iconic Liz McGuire movie in 2003. I could do a whole fucking segment on that movie and how it changed me. But I just don't understand, like, tell me if I'm, like, wrong in saying this, but, like, do we think that Lizzie should have ended up with Gordo? No. 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 We should do a poll on our Instagram about this, but I don't think so. I just think that, like, her and Gordo are really good friends, Mm -hmm. and I don't think that that should have happened. Well, she didn't end up with him. She kissed him. She kissed him, but they didn't end up together. How do you know? Oh, that's true. We don't know because that's where it ended, which is where I'm getting to. Yeah. Oh, okay. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm just, it's just, you're right. I am thinking with the knowledge that um, Liz McGuire was meant to be rebooted in 2020. You remember that? Yeah. And Hilary Duff had said that they weren't together when it was rebooted, when like in the script that was going to be hap- like work- worked on, they weren't going to be together. Well, in general, I wish that Gordo and Lizzie didn't date. You wish they didn't kiss at all? No. Okay. Yeah. I see why they did that because I feel like it was like a nice little like, you know how when like you're you're pining for two people like you're like oh like will they won't they yeah. kind of thing like I wasn't like I don't want them to be together when I was watching but no. I almost did want to see like Gordo show his feelings. I understand. I I respect why they did it. I just don't just not think that realistically they mm-hmm. should have dated. Like, and I'm assuming that they dated after that at least for a bit. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Ruin the friendship by Demi Lovato vibes, you know, like. (laughs) Okay, so I'm going to stop talking about Liz McGuire in a minute because there is so much more to say about Hilary Duff's career. Mm -hmm. And this is actually not about Liz McGuire specifically. Sorry. (laughs) But, you know, I'm obviously spending a lot of time on it. (laughs) But first, I just need to tell you that Disney actually wanted to keep going with Liz McGuire because it was so successful. Like, that Mm -hmm. makes sense, right? So after Lizzie graduated from middle school, which was at the end of the second series, and then the movie came out, which is obviously her trip between middle school and high school. Yeah. I'd say obviously, like, everyone is super (laughs) well-versed in what (laughs) Liz McGuire movie is about. Um, So Disney wanted to create a new series about Lizzie in high school, and it was going to be... Well, the idea was that it was going to be shown on ABC instead of Disney oh. because they're obviously connected. Yeah. And it was going to be for maybe a little bit of an older audience as, like, the viewers got a bit older because it was going to deal with, like, high school stuff. Yeah. But Hillary actually turned down this opportunity. And the thing that I loved when I was researching this was that her mom and her manager at the time, a little bit of a momager moment, she spilled some fucking tea. And Why? So she said, Disney thought they'd be able to bully us into accepting whatever offer they wanted to make, and they couldn't. They weren't giving Hillary the respect she deserved. Oh, they wouldn't pay her properly. Exactly. And then her lawyer said, basically, they wouldn't pay her what she deserved, considering how huge of an actress she was. Yeah. And her lawyer said that while Liz McGuire franchise may be over for Disney, Hillary Duff's career is flourishing. Mm-hmm. Which is not wrong. Which you fucking say it, sis. So... It was flourishing. Let's move on to the next phase in her career, which is the same year as the Liz McGuire movie came out. Hillary released her first album, Metamorphosis. Iconic fucking album. <laughs> I can't even believe this album exists. Uh-huh. I think the front cover of this album is the photo of my childhood. Really? Uh, did you listen to this album much? Not Delta Goodrum's Innocent Eyes. Oh, both. Okay, let's or not Christina compete. Aguilera's let's not compete. Script. Let's not compete. 
I'll be probably saying a lot of things are the epitome of my childhood <laughs> in this series. Did you listen to this album? No, not really. <gasps> like, I knew the singles. Oh, my God. Like, Come Clean. Yeah. Super Why Sweet not? 16. Why not? Yeah. So, okay. Yesterday. I don't know Super Sweet 16. Sweet 16. Oh, yeah, I do. That's Sorry, it's from the show Super Sweet 16. Oh, okay. That's a horrifying thought that you just said because there's just no way that you'd enjoy the album now as a 28-year-old <laughs> listening to it, so you've missed the boat. I'm so sorry. Uh-huh. It's not the same as Stripped, which you would like now. But the album was super successful because she was in, I would say, like probably the height of her career because Liz McGuire had just kind of ended and she mm. was like doing the movie and everything. The album had sold over 2.6 million copies in under five months and it was the eighth best-selling album of 2003. And I believe it had had the most sales in records for the first week of any female artist for the entire year. Good for her. Good for Hilary Duff. She mm. fucking did that. Her record label, Hollywood Records, was actually experiencing a huge decline in sales prior to the release of Metamorphosis. So it actually, like, really, Hilary Duff just, like, saved the music industry with Metamorphosis. Right. In my opinion. Actually, it's not an opinion. It's a fact. She <laughs> saved the music industry, which is why it's offensive that you didn't listen to the album. The album was kind of like fun and innocent and like had like that kind of vibe going similar to what she kind of had when she was in Lizzie McGuire and a Disney kid. Like it was just bop after bop. I literally lived and breathed this album as uh-huh. a kid. Like it was, it was just so, if I, when I think about it, I think of like a lighthearted, like fresh, happy, like you can't be sad listening to this music. It was on repeat on my Walkman. With my little headphones. Your Walkman? My Discman. Your Discman. Yeah. I was going to say, Walkman's a a bit too dated, doll. Is it? Isn't it the same thing? Walkman's with a tape. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, Discman. Discman. That makes sense. My Discman. (laughs) So it was just about life, friendship. It was like super pure. And I just feel like it really kind of encapsulates that really healthy, I guess, idol the really healthy mindset the young girls could have and why they looked up to Hilary Duff and why mm-hmm. parents liked that their kids looked up to Hilary Duff. Yeah. So as a side note, Hilary Duff was my very first concert. Nice. I was 13. My mom took me to Rod Laver Arena in Melbourne. Uh-huh. And I remember feeling so unbelievably stunned that Hilary Duff was in front of me. I was like, <laughs> I actually remember thinking in the moment, I was like, that can't be Hillary Duff, right? Like, I can't be literally in the same room as Hillary Duff. Uh-huh. Like, I was so shocked. Yeah. And I think the reason why I feel so strongly about Hillary Duff being such a great idol is because she was such a great idol for me at a young age. Mm-hmm. Like, and I understand that I am, am a very narrow type of young woman. Like, I obviously relate to her in a lot of ways that other people might not. Mm-hmm. But I just do think that she she was quite innocent and sweet and likable but you didn't feel it to be like you know the britney spears of the world where she was hold being held back and that yeah. kind of thing like you didn't feel like it was a controlled likable you felt like she was being quite authentic mm-hmm. but this girl was busy let me tell you that busy so between 2003 and 2005 she was in eight movies so oh, wow. not quite the mary kate nashley's of the world no that's more than the mary kate nashley's eight movies in three years in three years yeah yeah that's more than the mary kate oh. nashley's See, and there's two of them <laughs> there is two of them that's true so the movies included chief by the dozen which is my personal comfort movie oh my god i miss that movie that movie is so, so good i want to watch that so badly let's right watch now. it soon let's watch it soon Do you watch it today yes that movie is my comfort movie i can probably quote every single line like i 
when I was having a really anxious time in my early 20s, I remember I'd fall asleep to this movie on every single night. That's how much comfort it brings me. She was also in A Cinderella Story, Raise Your Voice, and The Perfect Man. I can't name more iconic movies. That's too much. Wait, what? Is there more? Those are, this is the thing, right? You kind of assume there's more, but those are the three. Like, she was in like Material Girls and oh, stuff like that. I you would love material material (laughs) i think my personal favorite is a cinderella story but honestly they're so good that it's kind of a crime to choose like the perfect man is a fucked up good movie have you seen that one recently not recently raise your voice also a fucked up good movie but Mm -hmm. also incredibly sad like you kind of have to be like in a good headspace i don't know why it was aimed for teenagers no i raise your voice is like i i love and respect her but i can't i can't consume her a lot it's heavy. It's heavier. I'm like, give me Sheba by the Dozen. Give me Material Girls. Mm-hmm. I love a bit of Hayley Duff thrown in there. You do like some Hayley Duff. I'm not a huge Hayley Duff fan. Do you know apparently they're not on speaking terms? Oh, tea. Not to start a rumor on this podcast, but I have read that apparently they are not on good terms at the moment. What is Hayley Duff up to? I think she's just living her best mum life in LA. Yeah. So in all these movies, like I said, they're all iconic, but she did kind of play relatively similar characters to what she did in Liz McGuire, like the kind of awkward, sometimes lost girl who isn't really sure what she's doing or where she belongs. Like, I think this is kind of Hilary Duff's niche. It was like typecasting. Yeah, but I do think she was like perfect for it. She really cultivated this really strong fan base of people who connected with this kind of, Mm. I guess, yeah, like relatable way of being a young woman and who felt understood by the role she was playing. So Mm. even though like, I guess maybe some criticisms might be that she's like, you know, not a good actor or whatever. And like, I'm not trying to say she's like the best actress in the world, but I do think that there's a lot of value in playing similar characters in different scenarios because they obviously like connected with a lot of people. Yeah. Okay. So now that we've covered movies, let's talk about her second album. Are you familiar with this album? What is it? Her self-titled, self-titled album. No, I'm not. I'm not familiar with her music except for the singles. I'm upset with you right now. I'm so I'm sorry. So upset with you. So it was self-titled. This album was everything. It kind of veered more towards like pop rock or pop punk. I think oh. it actually technically was considered pop rock, but it was obviously Is still Is this one she was dating Joel Madden? Yes, it was, which I will get into. But I, I mistakenly thought that he worked on the album with her, but he didn't. Oh. Like I, I remember reading. So Hilary Duff was the punk at heart. Well, yeah, yeah, but also she was dating him and then she made this album. So I feel like she was like 17 when this it's was like released. It's like Kourtney Kardashian. <laughs> <laughs> she was... Hilary Duff walked so Kourtney Kardashian could run. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> so this album was definitely more mature. Like I said, it was like a pop rock vibe. She was, I think, 17 at the time. And she said the album reflected her growth since leaving Disney. Because it was about a year or two after she officially left the whole Lizzie McGuire thing behind. Yeah. She said, basically, I'm not Lizzie McGuire anymore. And the album kind of addressed like less glossy topics like insecurities personal struggles dealing with bullies or haters like she literally has a song called haters it's so funny like i don't <laughs> want to be mean but it's quite funny because it's not a great song it was definitely a darker album right i want people if you guys liked this album because i loved this album i have there's so many iconic songs like i remember the day it came out my mom took me to jb hi-fi here in australia to buy it uh-huh. and i was going to my grandma's house and so i put it in my discman in the car and i just fucking rocked out the whole time all the way to my grandma's <laughs> fucking loved that album so i want people to tell me if they also liked it because it didn't do that well like metamorphosis did really well but i think the self-titled kind of 
not flopped, but like didn't do amazingly. I have so much nostalgia around the music. I could literally talk about it for hours, which is why I was horrified when I did learn that it had negative reviews. Like imagine being a music journal and not liking this iconic album. <laughs> embarrassing. <laughs> Absolutely embarrassing. Uh-huh. So as you mentioned, I feel, I feel like you can't speak about this album without speaking about a very important topic, which is her relationship with Joel Madden. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is kind of the closest that Hilary Duff came to being in any way controversial throughout right. her career. Yeah. And with that being said, it was not even that controversial. Like we didn't really speak about it. I feel like if this happened now, we would be, well, it does happen now and we do talk about it a lot. Mm-hmm. So when Hillary was 16, she started dating Joel Madden from Good Charlotte. Yeah. And he was 25. Obviously at the time, I feel like the general idea was like from her fans was maybe that like it was cool and quirky and like, you know, like dating an older guy. Like I think that's Mm kind of like the, the vibe when you're younger, like you think it's cool to date an older guy, but obviously now I've been in my twenties and I've been a 25 year old and I'm like, imagine dating a 16 year old. It's very interesting. And I feel like with Charlotte or really at their height then as well. Yeah. And I understand like there's obviously like, you know, with a lot of child stars in particular and actress, like child actresses, we do hear a lot of, um, you know, we're so much older for our age or like they're more mature because they've grown up around a lot of adults and they work mm-hmm. and like, and that, you know, I'm sure that is valid to an extent of like, they probably are a lot more mature in a lot of ways because they have a very different experience to the average 15 or 16 year old. But they're still 16 and you're still 25. Yeah. So anyway, they dated for two and a half years. So until mm-hmm. she was like almost 19. And like I said, this is obviously before we were used to having open conversations about like inappropriate relationships. But it is interesting because Hillary kind of didn't say that much about this relationship, like at the time or even afterwards. But she did say in 2016 on the podcast that the relationship was, quote, so all encompassing. It was so intense. It was my life. It was like every minute of my day and wow which does not sound healthy no that's very interesting she didn't elaborate to my knowledge about like that quote but like the idea that she was 16 dating a 25 year old and that was how she characterized the relationship is very icky to me it doesn't give me a good feeling about the whole thing totally so just a little interesting fact is like with all that being said it actually seems like they're on good terms still because joel madden and his now wife nicole ritchie and Hillary and her ex-husband actually had, like, dinner together a few years ago. And, like, they were just seen, like, hanging out. Which I think so, is so strange. Yeah, it's so random. It's so strange. Like, what the fuck would you talk about in that scenario? I mean, Taylor Swift, Joe Jonas, Gigi <laughs> True. That's very true. That's very true. Okay, so to end this, because the thing is, Hillary Duff, like, she had, like, an iconic rise to fame. Mm. But I do think that she, you know, she didn't do all that much kind of like in the middle of her career kind of thing. I think she's kind of started to find herself her footing more now. Yeah. So to end it, I feel like we should talk about where she is now and stuff like that. So she obviously is still a pop culture icon. How can you not be? Absolutely. And to me, I'm wholeheartedly believe that she's still the sweetest person. If you guys haven't watched her architectural digest, like home tour, you should go and watch it. Like not only is her home like so incredibly beautiful, but she's so sweet. Mm-hmm. You should go and she can go and watch it. She has three kids and is currently on the show How I Met Your Father. Yeah. Which is obviously a reboot of How I Met Your Mother. She also did the show Younger fairly recently, and I've heard that that's like a really, really great show. Yeah. I've and heard, I know it was quite successful. Yeah, I've heard it was really good. Yeah. And she obviously also had that iconic role on Gossip Girl. Like obviously many, many oh, years ago. Yeah, she that iconic did. role on Gossip Girl where she had a threesome with Dan and Vanessa. Oh my God. 
Good for her. Go off. And she kind of played like a Hilary Duff adjacent role. Remember mm. how she played like an actress or something? Yeah. It's kant of random. I kind of hate roles like that where they're yeah. meant to be famous. But anyway. I also read a lot about how she's quite philanthropic and she donates a lot of her time and money to charity, which we obviously love. It seems like something that she is very like passionate about and very into it from just like a genuine like human perspective not from like an i'm a celebrity who donates to charity perspective which i do think is there's something to be said for that in this day and age totally she's also the author of a trilogy of books did you know that because i did not it's a i think it's called elixir like it's a trilogy she's a multifaceted fucking multi-talented queen good for her i might need to read these books yeah so overall she's actually sold more than 15 million records Iconic. Did she release another album after She's released title? two. Oh. So she did 2003 Metamorphosis, 2004 Self-Titled, 2007 Dignity, I believe. Mm-hmm. And then like 2017 or 2018, she took like a 10-year break or a long, long break. And she released another album. But since then, nothing. Right. I think she's been focusing more on acting. Mm-hmm. Not only has she just like had this incredible, like long-lasting career, but she's also incredibly loved to this day mm. as an icon as she should be, mm-hmm. it's the respect she deserves for being Hillary fucking Duff. Nothing but respect. Nothing but respect. Okay, so this basically ends the story of how Hillary Duff's incredible TV, movie, and music career still brings me so much joy to this day. Mm-hmm. And, like, I just – the warmth that I have thinking about her from my childhood, just – I can't even tell you. Like, I hope when I have kids that they have someone like Hillary Duff to look up to as they get older because I just I just think that she's the greatest I'm so I love her so much that's so sweet honey and I hope she's listening imagine <laughs> if you already have listened wow I would actually die that can't happen beautiful well that seems like a lovely way to end today's episode my darling it does it definitely does this is a bit of a long one guys we hope you enjoy really strapped you in for a feature length <laughs> film at this rate but thanks for being here and listening to the episode if you loved it and you thought we shared something that would interest a friend maybe send them to this to them like that would be yeah that would be really cool It'd be so cool or you could leave us a little sneaky little review on apple Podcasts. we do love that that really helps us out lets people know that you're enjoying the podcast you can also subscribe to us on patreon if you would like to get little bonus episodes early episodes merch discounts and things like that we will leave all the links to these places in the show notes beautiful and as always thanks for being here you can find us on instagram at tbh.pod you can find me on instagram at amanda ducks my beautiful co-host on instagram at cara r reedy thanks for being here thanks for listening we look forward to being in your ears next friday morning Goodbye. Goodbye.